Good morning, everybody. I'm sorry that slide is a little difficult to see. I thought it might work well, but apparently not. Uh, on the men's retreat, we knew we were in trouble when Nathan showed up with, with his own set of Frisbee golf discs. Is that what they're called, Nathan? Discs? Okay. I want to have the nomenclature right. No. Thank you, Lord. Um, <laughs> you'll have to ask somebody else. I can't. Um, I have wanted for quite some time to bring a word to encourage those of you who are going through a prolonged trial or adversity. Anybody feel like they meet that qualification? A prolonged trial or adversity. And I would like to read to you, you don't need to turn there unless you want to, but I, I would like to read to you four scriptures that I believe the Lord led me to to get us started. They aren't very long. The first is uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It's the list of the fruits of the Spirit. And uh, this particular verse illustrates one kind of patience that is called uh, long-suffering. So here it is, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The next verse is James 1, verses 2 through 4, and this describes a different kind of patience under adversity. Here is that verse. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, and let patience or endurance have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How many of you love that verse? I love that verse about count it all joy when you meet various trials. And then Ephesians 6, 10, 11, and 13, and, and this is an exhortation to stand firm when the enemy comes and attacks, in, attacks us in some way. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Let it be, Lord. Amen? Let it be said of us. And then the last one is Jude 24 and 25 the last couple of verses of Jude, this is a promise that no matter what we go through, God is able to help us stand. He will make us stand in His presence with joy and glory. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, 
majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Let me show you an outline of what we're going to talk about this morning. The next couple of minutes, I'm going to talk about how many are the afflictions of the righteous. A few thoughts about that. And then the majority of the message will be how there is a call in Scripture to patience and long-suffering in the face of adversity. We'll study two Greek words, the word that is generally used for patience, and we'll also study this somewhat unique word in the Greek that is translated in our Bibles, long-suffering. We'll look at how we respond to crisis or trauma or adversity is critical, and the power of our mindset in responding to adversity, and then the benefits of suffering various trials. And then, as a conclusion, we'll talk about how God is able to make us stand, even at such a time. Indeed, many are the afflictions of the righteous of those who follow hard after God, you probably remember how David uh, complained about his trials in Psalm 73. Let me read just a little bit to you. He said, But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant, and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there is no pains in their death, their body is fat, are not in trouble as other men, nor are they kind. Therefore pride is their necklace, the garment of violence covers them, their eye bulges from fatness, the imaginations of their heart riot. They mock, they of oppression, they speak from on high. They have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue parades through the earth. What a description. Their tongue parades through the earth. They say, how does God know? Is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They have increased in wealth. And then David says this about himself. Surely, in vain, I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. You ever feel like that? You ever feel tempted to believe that it's not fair, uh, that uh, the wicked seem to get away with everything, and yet we are chastened every morning? Many of us today are experiencing deep afflictions, Many of you have a grief that will not heal. You've lost someone very dear to you, and the wound just doesn't go away. Many have an affliction or a disease plaguing them. Some of us have unsaved loved ones who will not, just not, surrender to Christ. Others have unresolved conflicts and sadness in our families. Some are persecuted for our faith, and still others 
diverse ills and attacks of the enemy too numerous to mention. Yet, I want to remind ourselves this morning that with God in our lives, our sufferings have purpose. Can I get an amen? With God in our lives, our sufferings are redemptive, meaning we are promised that our sufferings are pregnant with value because God is involved in them with us. That when we're in the crucible of long suffering and patient endurance under trial, God is at work in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. And he is able to make us stand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah for that. Well, there is certainly a call in the scriptures for patience and long suffering, isn't there? And uh, let's begin by looking at two Greek words. The first is hupomone, which is translated patience or endurance or perseverance, sometimes steadfastness in your Bible, in your English Bibles. It means an abiding under trial. It can mean a remaining behind and as a verb to wait for or to tarry behind, yet still abide. Isn't that a great definition? To tarry behind. You, you can't quite keep up with life the way you used to. Or you can't keep up with other people the way that is normal, and yet you still abide. Do you remember Chuck Farah's definition of abiding in Christ? Working at full efficiency in a relaxed state of faith. Isn't that great? So you may be tarrying behind. You may not be able to do all that you did in the past, but you can maintain that relaxed state of faith, doing the best you can. In the scriptures, patience, the, the word for patience, is associated with hope and grows under trial. It's used in several ways. It's used in tri- general, you know, trials generally. For example, in James 1, 3 that we read, count it all joy when you meet various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience. It's in trials because of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 6, 4, we read Paul where he says, but in everything we commend ourselves as servants of God in much patience, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses. It's also expressed in trials because of the discipline of the Lord. Hebrews 12, 7, it is for discipline that you have patience or endure, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Sometimes afflictions are undeserved. This is 1 Peter 2.20. What credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if you do what is right and you suffer for it and you patiently endure it, there's that word, this finds favor with God. And then there are exhortations for patience in bearing fruit, doing good deeds, 
I'll just read Luke 8, 15. And the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with patience. The second word is uh, makrothumia, excuse me, makrothumia, or long-suffering. And this, this word in your English Bibles many times is translated patience, and yet I like the term long-suffering because it has kind of a unique um, connotation to it. It means being long-tempered. Or you see here, long temper, to bear long with, to forbear, to show restraint with. So this word is associated with mercy. And we see it, as I read in the first verse in Galatians 5.22. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. But instead of hupomone, we have this other Greek word, that is best translated long-suffering. It means continuing to love people uh, which for us are difficult to love, not getting provoked with them. Isn't that interesting? And you would expect that that word would be used instead of the general word for patience in a list to the Spirit. Um, let me expand on the meaning a little bit. This is probably going a little bit further than um, you would read in a commentary or a lexicon of this word, but long-suffering is used when the meaning is continuing to love people when they're rebellious, when they're needy, when they're irritating, when they're exasperating, making bad decisions, using us, and generally just being difficult to love. Isn't it nice to know that God is aware uh, that sometimes we are stretched by one another and uh, he calls us to be like himself, to suffer long with those people as, as he suffers long with us. A couple of commentators, Hogg and Vine, say it this way. Long-suffering is that quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation, which does not hastily retaliate or promptly punish. It's the opposite of anger and is associated with mercy. And we saw how this word is used in Galatians 5.22. Patience is the quality... This is the first Greek word, hupomone, is the quality that does not surrender to circumstances or succumb under trial. It is the opposite of despondency. A synonym of despondency is hopelessness and is associated with hope. So James 1 that says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, is talking about don't succumb under trial. Endure and be strong and don't grow hopeless. The Lord is with you. 
So Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit passage is telling us that one fruit of the Spirit is merciful long-suffering with people. And the other is a call in James to hope, uh, hopeful, patient endurance when we're under affliction. In a sense, the Galatians 5 verse is a call to be like God, isn't it? Be like me through the power of my Holy Spirit. After all, it is a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, James 1 is more about uh, these trials are preparing us to meet God and to be with God and to bear the weight of eternal glory. So I hope I've illustrated well the, the uh, difference between these two Greek words. Well, when we're under affliction, how we respond to adversity is critical, isn't it? And I want to give you five sort of thoughts about responding to adversity. The first comes from Viktor Frankl. I've talked about him before. He was the Holocaust psychologist who lived through World War II. His main point was no one can take away our freedom to choose how to re respond to adversity or suffering. No one can take that away from us. Then there's Epictetus, uh, the philosopher slave who lived around 100 AD. He was a Stoic philosopher, and his main message was our response to suffering often causes greater suffering than the adversity itself. Sometimes where we go in our minds and our emotions causes more suffering than the actual uh, suffering that physical or event that we've experienced. Tim Chase, uh, Dave and Patty's son-in-law, one of their son in sons-in-law, came and spoke at BASIC one time, and he, he, he showed a film that I'm calling the Baby Caribou film. We'll talk about that. The message there was we must never give up, never quit. And then Chuck Farah, I remember him preaching a uh, what, was, what to me was a signature message uh, called bitter or better. Do any of you remember that message? Bitter or better. And of course, the title says it all, doesn't it? That when we face adversity, we have a choice about where we end up. And then the conversation of Job and his wife seems to me to be a conversation of should we embrace adversity or only good in our lives. And then I have something I've thrown in for fun called the quintessential place to see a traumatic event in our culture. So first, Viktor Frankl, the Jewish psychologist who survived the Nazi prison camp, here's his quote, or actually this is a paraphrase, but it's close enough. The last and greatest human freedom is the ability to, ability to choose how will we, we will respond to something. Almost every other freedom can be taken away, but not this one. So the idea is you can be tortured, you can be put in a box uh, that's barely big enough to hold you, your freedoms can be taken away, your possessions, but how you respond to that, no one can take that from you. Epictetus, the philosopher's slave, uh, he's the one who 
many uh, in the counseling field consider the father of cognitive therapy, you know, thought, how your thoughts matter. Uh, I was reading some of his writings, and the serenity prayer is in his writings, except that he's not, he's not uh, appealing to God. But the verbiage, and it makes me think that he actually was the one who first voiced the principles in the serenity prayer. But his, his real message was, our response to adversity can bring far greater suffering than the actual adversity itself. And so if you're in a counselor's office and you describe an adversity or a suffering that you're going through to the counselor, the counselor will almost invariably ask, what does that mean to you? And what they're going for is your response to the suffering, your interpretation of the suffering, where you're going in your mind. For example, if a woman is complaining of an inattentive husband, and he says, what does that mean to you? If she says he's just preoccupied with work, that probably describes a very different level of inter inner suffering than if she were to say, he doesn't love me anymore. So how we respond to suffering and the interpretations we bring to it can cause more pain um, if we allow it. Uh, the caribou story is a beautiful example of the Epictetus principle where Tim Chase came to BASIC and he showed a documentary of wolves chasing a herd of caribou. Now the picture is taken from above. It's taken from a plane and you see a particular wolf uh, carve out a baby caribou and begin to chase that caribou across the tundra. And the voice, the narrator of the documentary, is, is making it clear that the wolf is no match for the caribou's endurance and even speed. That if the caribou will just keep running, the wolf will give up. Uh, but the baby caribou doesn't know that, does it? And so right at the moment he makes that clear, tragically, you see the baby caribou just kind of crumple on the ground, stop running. The wolf pounces and the caribou's life is over. And it was, it was just very impactful. And Tim asked the group of kids there that day to make a spiritual application and they decided the lesson was that the wolf was the devil and we are the caribou. And if we don't, if we don't give up, we will win. May we run the race that is before us with such a mindset. We have the Lord within us and on our side. And we can outrun, we can outdistance, we can outendure whatever adversity that is facing us. I remember Chuck Farah preaching that powerful sermon, Bitter or Better, and exhorting us all to choose to be better. And who can forget the discussion between Job and his wife after they had lost their children, their possessions, all their livestock, 
And then Satan inflicts his entire body with boils. Picking up in chapter 2, verse 7. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. But the quintessential place to experience a traumatic event in our culture is this, the first soccer game of a group of five-year-olds. This is a rite of passage in our culture. I call it the Great American Social Trauma Initiation Spectacle. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. The five-year-olds are running in a frenzied and ferocious around the ball. And they're kicking the ball. They're kicking the ground. They're kicking each other. It is a frenzied mob, I tell you. And I call this group of kids the scrummers after the scrum in a, in a rugby game. Then you have one or two kids circling around the scrum, waiting for an opportunity to go in and get the ball, or waiting for the ball to squirt out. I call these individuals the opportunists. Esther, my Esther, was an opportunist. As the parents on the sidelines work themselves into a frenzy, the veins are popping out of their necks, their faces are turning from red to blue to purple. Beth, I'm telling you. And uh, they're shouting contradictory commands. It's a riot. It, it's just hysterical and uh, yet so poignant. The opportunists are able to tune out the parents, saying to themselves, if you think I'm going into that scrum, you are crazy. Then there's always one kid who is fascinated with a mud puddle or a blade of grass at the other end of the field. I call this one the free spirit who totally ignores the game happily. And then there's the kid for whom it's all just too much. It's just all too traumatic. And he ends up in tears running off the field for the support of his parents. All I can say is God help him if his dad is overinvested in the game at that moment. He will not find a comforting nest. To me, this is a tremendous micro picture of how we as people respond to suffering in those different categories. I would suggest to you that the opportunist is in the best position to successfully respond to this traumatic social event. 
She has a full field of vision. She's watching the scrum. She's watching the ball. She's aware of the goal. She's aware of the parents. She's waiting for her opportunity. She's detached enough, though, from the whole scene to move in and out with flexibility. It's the opportunist who is the most flexible and can adapt and goes on to win a lucrative scholarship with a 1A school. Good job, Esther, on everything except the lucrative scholarship. For the last 20 years or so, uh, researchers in the social science field have been studying the phenomenon of resiliency. Why it is that some people can experience a traumatic event and get through it and grow from it, and others seemingly cannot. The phrase used to describe this is post-traumatic growth. This was coined by Calhoun and Tedeschi in 1995, and here's the definition. Post-traumatic growth is the positive psychological change that can occur as a result of one's struggle with a highly challenging, stressful crisis or traumatic event. Growth does not occur as a direct result of the trauma, but rather it's the individual's struggle with the new reality in the aftermath of trauma that is crucial in determining the extent to which traumatic growth occurs. It's been uh, determined that one of the most significant variables that determine whether a person will uh, experience good resiliency in adversity is something called mindset. And the power of your mindset cannot be underestimated. And so they've come up with two mindsets to kind of show two ends of a continuum. The fixed mindset is the view that intelligence, talent, and certain personality traits are something that people have a fixed amount of. The fixed mindset world is about measuring your ability, and everything measures your ability. It's a world of threats and defenses. So it's kind of a, I can do this and I can't do that mentality, where, you, where you're challenged with a new situation and you... You make up your mind based on how you, the reputation you hold with yourself. The growth mindset is the view that intelligence, talent, and personality traits can be grown or developed over time. The growth mindset world is about learning and growth, and everything is seen as being helpful to learn and grow. It's a world of opportunities to grow, and I think as Christians... If we have a growth mindset, we say, I can do this with God's help. I can, I can accept this new challenge with God's help in my life. So, you might hear statements like these from a person with a fixed mindset. What do you mean, other possibilities? There's only one way to see this problem. Or, I've never been any good at relationships. Or, this is just how I am, take it or leave it, 
don't expect me to change. Or I'll never be any good at math. I threw that one in because that's one of my fixed mindsets. Uh, uh, but So I need to work on that. Statements you might hear from a person with a growth mindset are, this might take some time and effort, but I can do this. I've overcome tough challenges in the past. I can probably handle this one too. If I get stuck, I know where I can get some help. Bill will help me. And if he can't figure it out, Bruce can. <laughs> That's really true when it comes to technology. Bill's our, our first line of defense, and, and Bruce, when, 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 yeah, when we need to bump it up the food chain, we go to Bruce. Al's in there somewhere, too. <laughs> And then, with the Lord helping me, I can't lose. He will help me figure it out. Here are some quotes on having a growth mindset. Attitude is everything. Pick a good one. Laura bought uh, a bunch of vintage signs that had that, and so we've got it at various places in our house, and the grandkids have them in their bedroom, and we just think that's a wonderful a wonderful slogan. Attitude determines altitude. I believe that was Billy Joe Doherty who at least I first heard him say that. William Arthur Ward said, the pessimist complains about the wind, the optimist expects the wind to change, and the realist adjusts his sails. There's that opportunist. And then Mark Twain, this very famous quote, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. Fighters like that one. And then this little prayer that we said on the men's retreat a couple times. I'm a man, and I can change if I have to, I guess. Should we say that, men, for the ladies? Let's do that. I'm a man, and I can change if I have to, I guess. Yeah, you kind of taper off. Well, I want to show a video and ask you if this person has a fixed mindset or a growth mindset.
He's going down a slide right now. It's okay, Bill. Well, I'm sorry the video went down, but I think you saw him at the beginning, didn't you? And you saw that he has no legs and no arms, and he's got a little flipper for a foot. He calls a drumstick. And uh, this is an amazing guy. His name is uh, Nick Vojcic, um, and he goes around to high schools teaching. You might have heard him say to the girls, you are all beautiful. And if on the video, of course, the camera pans to the girls, and they're just crying and he talks about how he he was thinking when he gets married he'll never be able to hold his wife's hand but he says I'll be able to hold her heart and um, patience is very hard to have it's the hardest thing Um, but he's a a living example I think of a growth mindset you might be interested to know that now he has just a beautiful young wife uh, and uh, two kids. And um, you saw him diving off a high board, and he says, oh, boy. Uh, but he's a good swimmer and seems like he can do everything. Well, is a growth biblical uh, or growth mindset biblical? I mean, this is all well and good, but... We always have to take ideas to the scriptures, amen, and say, is this biblical? I want to um, say that in my book, the answer to this is a resounding yes, based on phrases like this that I just sort of pulled out of my mind and heart. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
We're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. He always leads us in His triumph in Christ. The glory of God is to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. David said, For by thee I can run upon a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. He has made us adequate ministers of a new covenant. He is my glory and the lifter of my head. Even Christ learned obedience. He learned something through what he suffered. And he is able to make you stand in his presence with great joy. Here are the benefits of suffering. Our selfishness is exposed and crucified. I remember being a seminarian at ORU. I had a family of five. My parents were paying my way through seminary. And I knew the one thing I couldn't do was get Laura pregnant because I knew that they would feel like that was using them, that that was a slap in the face. Plus, I, I was tired of kids in the sense that I, w- I was really focused on ministry and I wanted to move ahead with the family that we had. And so here, Laura is pregnant and I was very upset and I did what most men do, you know, the first was kind of a stupid denial where I said, how did this happen, you know? <laughs> and then, well, that's dumb, you know, and, and, and then my second response was much like the first Adam, and that was to blame the woman, right? She did this to me. And uh, when I got past that, I decided it was time to go have some prayer. And uh, I rented a cabin, 10 10 killer, and spent a few days praying and seeking the Lord. And I remember being on my knees and crying out to God, and he graciously spoke to me and he said, Jim, I love you enough to kill your selfishness. And I just broke. I was just a a weeping mess at that point, but that didn't stop him. He he kept talking, and he said, uh, you think that the power or strength of your ministry is going to be in spite of your family. The truth is, my will is that it be through your family. And really, that's, I think, to a large extent, been the strength and the power of uh, my ministry. And so our selfish, as we're pressed, as we're squeezed, as we're afflicted, things come out, don't they? Things that are ugly. And God deals with those and we deal with them and we become, as Chuck preached, and so praise God for that. The power of Christ is strong in us. I'd love to read the verses, but the time is getting on. But this is where Paul said there's a thorn in... I've been given a thorn in my flesh because of the abundance of revelations. And he sought the Lord about it, and the Lord said, My power is perfected in weakness. And then Paul went on to say, I will gladly boast then of weaknesses and afflictions and so on. And then we're able to comfort others in our afflictions. Suffering gives you a depth of personality 
and experience and uh, communion with the Lord that allows you to deeply connect with other people. I know you've experienced that. And then we are more deeply knit to our brothers and sisters, aren't we? As they shoulder our trials with us and we shoulder theirs with them. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. And let me take one more opportunity to thank you all so much for sharing Laura's and my load, shouldering it with us. We cannot tell you how much it means to us that you pray for us and you're with us. I don't think we've ever felt as loved or deeply connected to our church family. So the Lord does good things. And then the last one, um, we are prepared for the glory of heaven. Let's read this verse. This is 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So, to close, I want to say we have something that old Epictetus didn't have, don't we? We have the power of Christ at work in our lives. On my 60th birthday, a friend who didn't know it was my birthday sent me Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy to the only God our Savior, through, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Could we just briefly pray for any who are under these days an extended time of trial or adversity? So if you're in that boat, would you stand? And those around, please, please gather around them. We'll just have a, maybe a two or three minute prayer. So don't hesitate. If you're going through an affliction, a trial, a testing, a prolonged illness, uh, a grief that you would like ministry for, uh, let's gather around these who are standing, okay? Give you a minute just to gather. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are our burden bearer, that you are with us in every situation of life, every trial, every burden. You are there walking with us, daily bearing our burden. You are our salvation, Lord. 
Thank you for your grace that's with us each and every minute of each and every day. Help us to have that mindset that is so critical that with God, I can get through this. With God's power, I can overcome this adversity. With God's power, I can walk in victory and faith. With God's power, I can have patience and I can have long-suffering. Father, for those who are standing because they are caring for a loved one, they're in that caring role. We pray for the fruit of the Spirit called long-suffering. Help them, Father. Help us to care deeply for those in our charge and to remember there will be a day when we're all in heaven and uh, they and we will have new bodies and we can just rejoice together and perhaps that one we're caring for will, will thank us uh, even though they can't thank us now perhaps as fully as we need. We need your grace, Lord. We need your comfort. Thank you for the comfort of the Holy Spirit that comforts us in all our affliction. Father, when our selfishness is exposed, help us to be able to repent and take it to the cross. Thank you, Father, that the power of Christ is being perfected in these who are suffering. Thank you, Father, for your promises and Thank you that you're knitting us deeply together here in this body at TCF. May we shoulder the load together for these who are in the crucible of suffering and affliction. So, Father, lastly, we ask that we would not forget to pray for each other and for these who are standing. And we know many others who are not here today. Help us to remember to pray for them. And we thank you, Lord, for the truth from your word that suffering is not only refining, but it is redemptive. That our suffering is pregnant with value. And uh, help us, Lord, to hear and learn and grow the way you want us to uh, through these trials. Help us to bring glory and honor and praise to your holy name. We give you all the praise now and all the glory in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah and amen.